as the Buddhists would say, we are interdependent. We are intertwined with one another. There's their idea of the Indra's net where everything is connected. Sounds a little hippie, sounds a little new age, but I don't mind saying it in that sense because it is, to me, a beautiful teaching tool to say that what I do to Constantine affects not only Constantine, but it affects myself. And then it affects the people that Constantine engages with or that I engage with afterwards. So in other words, if Constantine and I have a really lovely experience, we come away from this conversation feeling good, we're going to radiate that out to the next group of people that we interact with. And this conversation is going to have a life of its own on the interwebs and it's going to go do its thing. Now, if we were yelling and screaming at each other like they do over on certain 24-hour news channels, that also radiates or precipitates out into the world. And so we see this cellularity in action and those types of things that play out. And so I say that as a thought experiment to the audience that your thoughts and actions matter when it comes to others. It matters to you, but it also matters to every single participant in this human species. Welcome to today's episode of Unleash Thyself. I am your host, Constantine Moron. And today's guest is Justin McSweeney. Justin is the host of an interview series on YouTube called the IdeaCast Interview Series, as well as the curator of the Illumin Life Project, a website dedicated to transformation support. He works in the social commons as a facilitator of positive meaning and purpose discovery. Welcome back to Unleash Thyself, the podcast that inspires and empowers you to unleash your full potential. I am thrilled to welcome Justin McSweeney to the show. Justin, we can't wait to hear more about the experiences and insights that have led you to where you are today and your Unleash moment, the moment you knew you are on your own path to becoming the best version of yourself. Justin, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you, Constantine, and I'm happy and glad to be here. So I appreciate the space opening up for both of us. And perhaps I'll share that you and I had had a conversation on my show. And this is at once a continuation, but also a new territory that I hope to explore with you. So Exactly. So let's talk about your show to begin with. What drew you to starting your show and what's your mission? There are two, I guess, aspects to what I what motivated me to begin producing conversations with people that I felt were conversations to revolve or that would revolve around meaning and sense and purpose. These, you know, easy breezy things that we just think about when we're driving down the road. Right. And so but yes, seriously, I just thought, well, what can I do to throw my hat in the ring? How can I participate in seeking out a a terrain of well-being for people, an opportunity for people to think about well-being and thriving through resilience and anti-fragility and all these other wonderful terms that are floating around in in the commons right now. And so I thought, and this, my thinking wasn't that sophisticated back then, but I'm reflecting on it yeah, now. So, so, but my original intention was how can I, again, become involved? How can I participate in being a contributor rather than somebody who's neutral or somebody who's sort of detracting from human flourishing and so forth? And so part of it was motivated by a desire to develop a branding of not myself personally, but the, but the work that I would like to do with others in the world, whether I do it professionally full time or it's something I do as a volunteer service. I don't know. I just leave that to, to fortune. But that was part of my motive was I can start developing a footprint or a presence of, again, not me, not my ego, but the work that I would aspire to do. 
and the other motive was I had a, a an acquaintance, or I should say a very casual friend whom I met at a meditation conference, and we struck up sort of an online friendship. And this person had what they call ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, and it's a very devastating illness. And so she had written a book called No Pressure, No Diamonds, and she was my very first guest, and her husband, John, and she came on. And for those of you listening, it's at the very bottom of my uploads in, in my YouTube. I have 81 conversations as of the time of this recording. And Terry is the very first conversation. It's very inspiring because she was a therapist. She was a psychological in that field of psychology, a counselor. And so she was lensing her her process, her relationship with this disease through that of someone who is trained to help others going through crisis, going through existential situations that are, you know, challenging and demanding. And so what a wonderful way to share with the world in being in an otherwise dire situation. And then John, her partner, her husband is also a therapist. And so he was contributing to that and they were in this shared experience. And she did ultimately end up taking her life about almost two years ago. And I, I, would have done the exact same thing in that situation. I wouldn't have lasted as long as she did. She stuck it out for quite a long time because ALS robs you of your mobility and and any functionality that we take for granted. You're basically locked in. And so she decided that it was time to leave. And so anyway, I had talked to her about a year prior to her passing. And so, yeah, it was just a really beautiful conversation about facing you know, the end, end of life. And she was only 41 years old. So yeah, really stoic person. You know? so, so I say that I'm dragging on a little bit, but that that's how I kicked off the show. And then since then, with the 80 other guests that I've had, everything is again, revolved around making sense of the world, trying to find some meaning for yourself or finding out how to make meaning or discover meaning or have meaning become apparent to you and to see purpose in life or to feel as though you are being purposeful or contributing purpose. And so I've interviewed a lot of people from the humanities, a lot of people who are academics and professors in universities and so forth. And I've also interviewed people who are doing what you and I are doing, just, you know, trying to spread the word and, and, and do well. Coaches, artists, musicians, people like that, who are just, again, trying to contribute to the commons and, and allow for the space for either beauty through aesthetics, again, through the arts, through music, or through understanding, through trying to answer riddles and, and dance with mystery and things like that. So those have been my guests so far, and, and I've loved every one of them. I've, there's never been a bad conversation. So for 81 guests, you know, I, every one of them was a, was a gift. So yeah, so that's, that's kind of wraps up, you know, how things started and, and what my intentions were. Thank you, Justin. That's wow, that's a beautiful and inspiring story. Both parts of that. And I'll, I'll touch on both of them in a second, but let's go to Terry for a, for a minute and her story. Of course, one of the things I realized maybe a bit too late in my life, but it's never too late, the idea that we take things for granted. Hmm. And in her case was the freedom, the mobility. In my case was simple things like water, food, the fresh air that we get to breathe. Mm -hmm. and other things that you in your life may have that many others don't and they wish they, they would have. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting walk that we walk through the path of life and you, you hit on something really important and I think it doesn't take a, a crisis to give us a, a 
a way place on that path that we walk to stop and reflect, to look backward, to look forward in a very positive, through a positive lens and say, again, what do I take stock in? Is it the simple things like being able to breathe, being able to, to see, to smell, to taste, and to enjoy the subtlety of experience and life? And so in not having to go through an existential crisis or a life crisis to do that, I would say that these kind of conversations and things that inspire you, if you can just open your perceptive ability, your ability to see and, and intake a little bit in those experiences. Now, one thing that we all deal with when we're walking that path of life, and, and so none of this is a fault, is that we have to prioritize. We have to make sense of the world. We have to understand what we need to do. And a lot of that revolves around garnering those things like food and water and safe shelter and things like that. So it is, it is at once, it is a challenge to make the space and the time when we are otherwise distracted or at once, you know, co-involved in, in, in creating a good, healthy life for ourselves or what we would consider to be a good, healthy life for ourselves. So that I'm sort of beating around the bush, but yeah, having to work a lot to generate revenue, to, to be able to have that comfort that we seek, or, or if you're aspiring for more, that you're looking for some material gain, some, what we would call wealth or, or at least some, you know, whatever it is you desire to have in, in ter terms of materiality, that that could really choke out the ability to slow down and start starting to see things. But now I also want to give us as a species, us as a human race credit, because a lot of us, at least in the West, are starting to recognize that and saying, oh my gosh, I need to slow down. I need to take time. Let me develop a mindfulness practice or let me develop a time to go and do sports and recreation or whatever it is, arts, music, you know, and engaging in those things. So so I think we are learning as humans to to work with that. But, you know, again, sometimes those those what we would call tragic events come up. And that's a, that's another way to learn too, is to learn through these people who are reporting to us like Terry saying, you know, I just ran into a wall and I'm not going any further. And, but I'm taking time to, to enjoy, you know, the subtle qualities of life. And so, you know, we can learn from others and we can also learn through just that desire to not continually to be in the, the hamster wheel of, of having to work to take care of ourselves. Yeah, no, that's a beautiful add-on there, Justin, and I agree with you 100%. People are waking up a bit more to the fact that working 12-hour days and taking no time for yourself or taking things for granted and not taking a moment to be grateful for the things you have may not be the right path. And personally, since I've started making a list of things that are important in my life and become grateful for those things, even as simple as my pillow after a good mm. night of sleep or the water that we drink or the food that we have, it put things in perspective. And it, it's a reminder that, like you said, a tragedy can hit at any moment. And most of those things that we expect every day can be gone. And it might not happen. It may happen. But at least you know that if you're preparing yourself to, let's say, appreciate everything in life, you're going to start to see a lot more beauty around you. You're not going to now always strive for the beauty outside of you. And that's not necessarily achievable in the short term and now be sad. Now you can find happiness in those small things around you. That's what I've seen as a big, big, big change for me. Once I started looking around and saying, you know what, I'm grateful for this, for this, for this. Wow. There's so much beauty in the world. Yeah.
one thing that in my own personal practice that I've co-opted from other people that is very simple and yet very powerful is there's three tenets to sort of aspire to or, or to look forward to. And I mean forward in a couple of different ways, time and development wise. And that's truth, good and truth, goodness and beauty. And so truth, when we hear that, we sometimes think of sort of this binary concept of truth, like it's either true or it's false. And it's like, well, no, truth in its origin and the etymology of truth is more subtle. It means to have faith in something. It means to believe in something, which which can fit that description of either it's true or it's not, because, you know, the sun is, you know, radiates warmth and UV and, and, and infrared light to us. And there's a truth to that. You know, we, as far as our science can tell us, we know that the sun does that. And that's a kind of truth. But also you and I are engaging in a truth right now where we're being faithful to each other. We're showing up in good faith to have a good conversation, to explore ideas and to maybe nurture a truth out of that that's beyond you and myself. And so there's a lot of ways to look at that. So, but going to beauty and goodness is, uh, these are anchors or these are lures perhaps that can get us to a place where we can make that time that's even more valuable than making an extra hundred dollars a week or making, you know, enough money to buy whatever shiny object we're aspiring to. And I do that too. I'm not judging. So, but you know, it's, it's that valuation. It's that what, what is goodness? What is beauty? And, you know, is the shiny object beautiful or is the, as you said, the so subtle and sublime beauty of nature that doesn't cost anything you get in your car or well, okay, cost your trip out to wherever you're going. But then beyond that, you're in a park, you're in a natural environment with the mountains, streams, lakes, whatever it is, beach. And you're there and you're, you're in relationship with that environment. You're in relationship with that space. And that for your emotional sense that you can, you know, it recharges you, it lets you drain out the stress. So there's a deep value there. And so, so that to come around to where we were is a means that we can recognize in ourselves that we desire that rather than desiring the distractions, which again, might be shiny objects. It might be that we want a certain lifestyle or, or whatever it is that we're pursuing that you can find much more richness and value in things that really, you know, are not as hard to, to, to gain or that you don't have to sacrifice yourself as much. And by that, I mean, time, time in for working or for laboring and things like that. Exactly. And you touched on an important point there with the shiny objects, right? We all strive for those and you and I are no different. I've done it so many times in my life. But what I've come to realize as well from conversations with many beautiful souls, as well as my own inner work, is that if you start practicing gratefulness and you start to enjoy all the small things in your life, your perception of the shiny object will change, mm -hmm. meaning that some shiny objects will no longer appear shiny to you because you may have desired something shiny, let's say in my case, a bigger house or a nicer car. Mm -hmm. just to impress people around me or just to potentially impress myself and be like, oh, I made it in life. I have the American dream. I'm doing it. But now, if a shiny object still stays in your peripheral vision, is something you want to attain, all of a sudden, when you go and get that, it's going to have so much more meaning to you. It's going to bring you that happiness that you seek. Mm -hmm. Because I know so many shiny objects I chased in the past and I acquired or I, I got to, in, let's say, my professional life, once you get that, it's like, where's the happiness? I thought it's going to bring me so much joy, right? But it might be temporary at best, and that's it. Anyway. I, I think one compromise in chasing the shiny objects, and this is something that I'm 
perhaps aspiring to in my own practice of life is to have the shiny objects work for me, have value to me. So I would, so my little short list of shiny objects would be a new desktop computer that's a little more powerful. And then maybe some apps that I can run on that more powerful system that I can do the creative work that I like to do. I want to work with maybe media arts or virtual reality and things. I mean, I have a virtual reality computer right behind me that's more than adequate. And so I'd like a second computer that I can then dedicate other apps to to do things. So these are shine, these are material objects, but I want them to work for me and I want them to to enhance or expand my creative abilities also my abilities to do the things that we had first mentioned in our conversation about what are you know what are we getting together for here we're talking about you know human flourishing human well-being and so honestly my my motivation in life going forward is is to make that at once a selfish pursuit for myself to create and generate but also that that the things or whatever outcomes i get from that serve others and they're good for others, you know, so I can have my cake and eat it too. So, so that, so you can reconfigure the shiny object obsession. It's like, I don't need a, a speed boat. I don't need a jet ski. I don't need a, you know, a expensive array of fishing equipment or, or, or any of these toys. They, they would be fine for recreation. But what I'm, what I'm sort of, again, what I just said with the computers is that if, if it at once pleases me and then helps me to be of value to others. And wow, you know, <laughs> there's a win-win there. So Yeah. I think you touched on an important point there, which is the idea that these shiny objects in the example you gave the computer are aligning with your personal mission. Mm -hmm. And we each have a mission or a purpose, but sometimes we have to find what it is because it's not something that they teach you in school or they help you find it as you grow up or as you get into the workforce. Mm -hmm. So it's up to each of us individually to find that and then see what shiny objects, let's say, will, will align with that. Because if my purpose in life is, let's say, to raise a beautiful family and I want to do it in the best way possible, then maybe my shiny object is a farm with 20 acres and a big house on it, mm -hmm. right? And whatever comes with that. But in your case, if you if you want to be in service of others, and in my case, there will be shiny objects that will align with that. But outside of it, we also have passions and things that make us re get more energy, recharge, whatever. Like mm -hmm. in your case, let's say the speedboat example you gave. Well, yeah, if you're into boating, if boats bring you happiness, then of course, that could be a shiny object because it has, like you said, double value. It serves a purpose to recharge you, right? It's a, it has a purpose. And it's a shiny, ob shiny object at the same time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you can you can take other people out who may not be able to afford a boat and give them a good day. You know, you can go take them fishing or show them places that they may not access. So that so even with the farm example that you mentioned, like you could raise a family on that farm and turn out children that will go out into the world and do good in the sense that they have a neat perspective, an unusual perspective, and that they learned the responsibilities that come with farm work. So yeah, there's ways for these things to sort of radiate out a dual benefit. And and so even on that farm, you could you could raise organic vegetables or, you know, raise goats and have goat soap or goat milk. Yeah, so there's so many little things you can do that, that in turn become a public service or they become something beneficial beyond, say, your nuclear family unit or you're just yourself as an individual. Exactly. And, exactly. and I think you and I are kind of finding ourselves in a aligned in that sense that you can make life about you as well as making life about being to whatever degree in service to others or being 
there for others. The service is kind of a strong word, but that you are a, a friend or an ally to others and that you can help lift other people up as well as meeting your own selfish needs. So this goes from shiny objects to sort of personal satisfaction and a sense of fulfillment in life. And that, you know, you can feel fulfilled selfishly, but you can also without without sacrificing any of that, help others and be useful or be contributing to causes, whether that's volunteering, you know, for homeless shelters or for any of these, you know, things that could be altruistic, that that can be fulfilling and you can be very selfish in that and you can get that kind of reward, you know, from that. But it just takes some reconfiguring. You know, it sounds it sounds almost contradictory if you're used to just, you know, it's me and I'm taking care of myself. But there is a way to reconfigure, I think, that you can, and not all the time. I mean, you can just give 20% of your days or your waking time to something that that does that for you. And then the rest of your time, you're either working or you can go out and have fun or whatever. But yeah, there's there's ways to, to configure yourself to that kind of living or giving. Absolutely, Justin. And that's a great point. And you, you mentioned this a few times, being in service of others. And I had a beautiful conversation with a guest recently, and she mentioned this exact idea that everyone's purpose in life, or I should say maybe everyone's happiness can be enhanced when being in service of others as much as they're in service of themselves. Mm-hmm. And that got me thinking about my own mission, because my own mission is similar to yours, right? To be in service of others, to bring messages conversation that inspire and empower people on this life journey could be to find the purpose in life could be many other things but what got me thinking is that i look around and you look around at all the amazing people doing things for themselves but for others and they're finding happiness and one of the things i discovered last year when i had my big awakening moment was the idea that love is the answer and being in service to others and love they're very tied together because first you have to love yourself but once you have done that and you have begun the journey, you can start pulling it outside. And how it looks, it can be different from person to person. You may start a business that's going to help a million people have, let's say, safe drinking water. That's being in service, even though you're starting a business that's going to make money. I could be starting a podcast like I did just to spread a message like you and I did. Mm-hmm. So there's many ways to, to essentially have a purpose of love and you decide what that love means to you how are you going to give the love to yourself and then spread it out to everyone else mm-hmm. yeah i totally agree and i think one qualifier that i'll put in here and i think most of the audience will already know this so you know grant me some charity in that and that is that love is at once an emotion as well as it is a process it is it is something ineffable that we engage with. And we know when we're feeling that love and we know when the love is not anywhere to be felt. And so I'll maybe open that up a little bit. There is the love of the emotion. There is that which you feel towards a family member or a partner or a good friend or a pet or any, you know, nature, whatever it is. But beneath that layer of the felt emotion, the phenomenal experience is a lure and attraction and it is relation it is it is it is being in a good relationship with something and so you know the opposite of that is is sometimes they say the opposite of love is fear or hate you know what hate and fear are almost synonymous but it's almost that that there's this repulsion feeling this this feeling of it, it could be a 
a gustatorial response like revulsion or something like that but you know we're all pretty keen on that we, you know we, we can intuit those feelings really easily so i would say to the audience that yes love can be described as an emotion but it is also again as i said a moment ago a process that we engage with and it is a fulfilling process it's reciprocal between yourself and whatever else you're engaging with whether it's another person whether it's your being in service to humanity or eating a really good sandwich or something <laughs> you're just feeling that really good response to the engagement in whatever you're doing. And so I just offer that out as a qualifier to say that, you know, when we speak of love and we speak of service through love or being in love with a thing that you do is that it is beyond emotion. It is beyond those faculties, that it is this sort of undergirding or this, this architectural framework of how we relate to other people. And so that may be part of the psychological profile of, of ourselves, or it may be something even more abstract than that. And I don't know. And that's up to the audience, to anybody in the individual to to do their own identification and and and, and understanding of what that is. So anyway, I just throw that out there as a, as a means to help just open it up and make it more meaningful. Yeah. Two points I want to touch on there, just in the first one, around what you just said, that love can be transactional. Mm -hmm. And one of the, the same guests I mentioned earlier, she mentioned something that really got me thinking. She mentioned there are four types of love in the world. And humans try for number three, and I'll give that in a second. But the first type is baby love, where it's very conditional. You give me love, and I don't have to give you anything in return. Then it's a transactional love, the one you mentioned, mm -hmm. where I do something for you, you do something for me, and we go, we do this dance. Like, let's say it might be a work I do, right? They pay me, I work, that's transactional. And then there's, you start to get towards the slightly unconditional love where I just give without expecting anything in return. Mm. Like in this case, I do the podcast. I'm not expecting anything in return. You do the same thing. You do the podcast on YouTube. You don't expect anything in return. Sure, if something happens out of it, if you build connections, mm. if you're going to make money out of it, that's all like the cherry on top of the cake. And then the fourth level is true unconditional love, mm. which you know, the gurus, the Buddhists have. And that got me thinking because society, the way it's evolving right now, we were a lot more transactional in nature or, and still are to some degree in the past, but now we're moving more towards, it's all about me, me, me as the person. So I, I get, I get, I get, but I don't have to give anything in return. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes people, according to her, according to what I believe now as well is what makes people unhappy. Because if you can't, if it's all about you, and you put yourself at the center, and you don't give anything out, then where do you find the happiness? Where do you find the joy? Where do you find anything that will make your life better? So to your point, let's evolve back to the transactional piece. Let's go a bit more to the unconditional piece. Start loving yourself, and then you can start seeing how you can spill out and allow others to see your shining light and become shinier because of you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so in a sense that transactional is good, it's, it can be neutral so that, that, you know, there's, it's mutually beneficial. And then the unforgiving is it's not always mutually beneficial, but nonetheless. So in other words, you can give without expecting anything in return and you don't, you, there's no resentment. And that's, that's a discipline. That's a place that you can reach. And it's, it's, it's good to 
practice that, to give something away and not expect a thank you or a recognition. And if you can do that and still feel really good about yourself, then you're on the, you're doing good things. And, and the degrees of, or the types of love that you were talking about reminded me of some of the, some of the philosopher guys that I've talked to and they have a kind of jargon and there's, and I'll, I won't, remember all of them, but I know there's like four or five different types of love in the sort of Greek sense of, of, of the funny Greek words. And there's philia, which is a love of a connectedness with others, like family members or friends. And that the philia is the exchange love of reciprocal love, like a, a parent to a child or a lovers. And then there is the eros, which we think of eros, we think of erotic, but it is also a lure or a draw. It is the drawing towards, and that's the attraction. And that can lead to, you know, sort of physical expression of love but but the eros has a has a power to it and and something that i reflect on when i think about relationships is and it's not necessarily with humans but it's the eros of um being drawn towards like i was saying the good the true and the beautiful this would be a draw towards the good what what is luring me to do something good and that eros to me is very powerful it's way beyond human relations it's something that's deep for me anyway and then there's finally the agape, which is what you were speaking of in terms of unconditional love. Christianity speaks of the agape. There's agape churches, and it is the love in their language. It's the love that God has for the people, and it is a forgiving love. It is a love, love that gives before it expects anything in return. Now, you could get dogmatic in Christianity and say, well, you know, God loves you conditionally because if you, you know, you're a sinner and blah, blah, blah. But I don't want to go down that path. It's more the purity of that relationship that they refer to in their theology that, that the agape is is this very strong and powerful love of, of unconditionality. So, so I'll just add that in as an accent to what you had no, said. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think striving for that unconditional love provides a certain freedom. And I'll explain why I think that. And it has to do with expectations. That's something I've been playing around with a lot lately. Intention versus expectation. And I used to be someone that I would do many things, and I still do, but I would have expectations or build an expectation around it. So as soon as I would put an expectation, this is how I want this interaction to go down, maybe transactional, maybe one-sided, whatever the case might be, it's almost like I would put my blinders on and I wouldn't necessarily allow all the beauty that's around it to perhaps put me on a slightly different path or as it comes up in my life, say, ooh, you know what? Maybe I was wrong about expecting this. Let me actually recalibrate and move myself on a different path. Mm. So that's the same in the same concept, because if I'm looking at expectations, right? If I say, okay, Justin, I'm doing this conversation with you right now. So you, I can do one on your show so you can promote it. And that's the only benefit or mm. the only expectation I have. It's going to make it very hard for us to have a natural conversation. And my focus will only be around, ooh, what am I going to get out of it? Yeah. But if we do it from a place of, okay, let's see what happens, right? It's mutually beneficial for both of us. But what happens, happens, right? There will be opportunities that come up along the way that otherwise you may have been blind to. And the same goes with love. If you are always, at least in my mind, if you're always looking at a transaction or a one-sided exchange, then you will end up, imagine if everyone in the world would be like that. If it's all about me, then nobody would give. So we'll end up being all individuals and nothing would happen. And even transactional, it gets to a point where you may feel robbed. Oh, I gave you more than you gave me. So now the relationship breaks down. And we we know of many examples in life that happen, right? In business, in personal life, 
and whatnot. I strive to give that unconditional love, but it's tough because society and your background, parents, family, teachers, they weren't taught that. And as a result, you weren't taught it either. Mm-hmm. To that degree that you may need to navigate this world. And that's the beauty of it. We continue learning and growing, and then eventually, hopefully, we'll be in a much better spot than we were, let's say, 5, 10, 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I see what you're saying, and I completely agree. And so I'll I'll build on that and say that in our sense of individuality, which is common in the in what I would call Western thinking, and there is a history to that. And we do have a very transactional paradigm in our history. We expect for our efforts, we expect a return. And that can be family relations or it can be business. And that's a product of Western, European, North American thinking. Other cultures are different, especially cultures that we've never even experienced or heard of. And there are sort of ancestral ancestral cultures. So they're still existing in what we would call these sort of uncontacted tribes, tribal living and so forth, where they're much more communal, much more collective. So, but you know, as a caveat, I'm not arguing for collectivism here. What I'm arguing for perhaps is to see humanity in the developed Western, and I say developed with a grain of salt, developed Western function and normatives and paradigms that we exist in, that we lose sight of the fact that we are systems, that we are the species itself and all living creatures are in a system. And I use the thought experiment of cellularity in these systems and also in complexity, but I'll bracket complexity and leave that out for a second. But we are a complex system of organisms by way of our, our intelligence and our sentience and so forth. We are sort of apex minds here and, and that can become very complex. So, but without getting lost in the cellular analogy, let's think about in an emergent sense for just a moment, how everything in the universe is, is in some way cellular. So we talk about molecules and, and molecules are born of atoms. Atoms are born of potential in a field, in a, in a quantum field, and there's collapse and decoherence and all that. But those are basically potentials that coalesce into atoms, which, you know, depending on what's, you know, what's pre- precipitating that, what's causing that to happen. And that's still kind of a mystery with the quantum folks. But anyway, so we'll start with atoms, move our way up to molecules, molecules to the chemical chains and chemical properties. And then from chemical to biology. And again, this is controversial. It's, it's reductionist science, but I'm using it as an analogy. In every one of those steps that's being made, they are cellular systems organizing to create another higher level of existence. And then we finally make it up to biology where we are, and that we are these biological organisms. We are life, and we are self-organizing life. We are autopoetic, as they would say, and we put ourselves together. If you continue to abstract those layers of organization and complexity and cellularity, that we arrive at a social cellularity, a cognitive cellularity, in a sense, and a minded cellularity. And so I use that as a thought experiment to say that when Constantine and myself are engaging in a conversation, we are, as the Buddhists would say, we are interdependent. We are intertwined with one another. There's their idea of the Indra's net where everything is connected. Sounds a little hippie, sounds a little new age, but I don't mind saying it in that sense because it is, to me, a beautiful teaching tool to say that what I do to Constantine affects 
not only Constantine, but it affects myself. And then it affects the people that Constantine engages with or that I engage with afterwards. So in other words, if Constantine and I have a really lovely experience, we come away from this conversation feeling good. We're going to radiate that out to the next group of people that we interact with. And this conversation is going to have a life of its own on the interwebs and it's going to go do its thing. Now, if we were yelling and screaming at each other like they do over on certain 24 hour news channels, that also radiates or precipitates out into the world. And so we see this cellularity in action and those types of things that play out. And so I say that as a thought experiment to the audience, that your thoughts and actions matter when it comes to others. It matters to you, but it also matters to every single participant in this human species. I always love to use the word species just to keep us honest. <laughs> so, so anyway, I, I, I offer that out to say that think of it in, as a cellular system. And then to bring complexity in for a minute without getting too mind warpy, that when we scale out to 8 billion human beings, it becomes extremely difficult to become coherent, to become that altruistic, that good person, the good, the truth, and the beauty is difficult to maintain there. It's like you said a moment ago, it's like, how can I give without not becoming a little bit resentful if I don't get any acknowledgement of my sacrifice or my giving? That builds at eight, at the scale of 8 billion persons can, it's just almost impossible to attain that. And maybe it will be in the future, but, but systems complexity scientists like to think about scaling back down to smaller groups to where functionality can manifest itself, where we can have these coherent, psychologically healthy exchanges and, and what I call the hygiene of, of the psycho-emotional self. You know, it's just this good sharing of information without it breaking down into tribalism or insular thinking or things like that. So I just, I'll stop there because I just dumped a whole lot of stuff out. But, but yeah, I just think, so like you and I are doing really good. We're in coherence. We're, we're vibing with each other. We're doing that. And we could scale up to maybe four or five people. But once you get up to a certain number of people, then, then we get our... Uh, our egos and our persona involved and our perceptions involved and our beliefs involved. And then we start to recoil at certain ideas and so forth. And so, again, you can't scale this up necessarily, but at smaller scales, it can be done. And then with going and this is almost paradoxical that if we all sort of find ourselves in coherence, it will be more accepting of other people that don't look and act like we do. And, and maybe that opens up the opportunity for eight billion people to find some degree. I'm always about percentages. So even if we find 30% more coherence, more compatibility, more relationality, more positive affect towards one another, well, by gosh, you might have, you know, not world peace, but a heck of a lot less violence and you know, conflict yeah. and discord and all that. Kind of stuff. So I'll stop there and, and let you respond to that. Uh, that's a beautiful way to look at it. And I agree with you 100%. Because I know there is a connection between people. I mean, you can feel it even in a conversation like this. But when you interact in your own personal life with your coworkers, with your friends, with your family, you can feel the energies. You can feel that connection or the lack of connection. Right? I mean, that's how we find partners, right? We look at the connection mm -hmm. between the people. Mm -hmm. So we know that that's there. And a beautiful thing you mentioned is the, the scalability issue. But the way you kind of touched on it as well is the way I see it is that we each have communities that we're part of. Right, and then the small communities and large ones. But if we, let's say, take a small community as an example, and we have shared values, we learn how to love ourselves and love others, and be more kind, and do all those things that you mentioned as well. And then there are other communities doing the same thing. When those communities come together, it's almost like two again, two entities coming together and sharing and, and learning from each other. And that's how we probably can scale to the eight billion people, not one person to. 8 billion, but rather many smaller groups 
that now coexist and maybe become a bigger group and then they again touch with the rest of the groups and they they learn from each other they are accepting of each other like you said because for you to be my friend justin i don't need you to be exactly like me i think that's the mistake i made in the past and many people make or you don't have to vote for the same people you don't have to have the same religion the same skin color the same anything Right. As long as we can have a connection and at least there is some common ground, maybe in our beliefs, maybe in our passions, purpose, whatever they might be, they can bring people together. And that's the beauty of the human race is that we can all be different, yet at the root of it, at the bottom of it, we're all the same. Mm-hmm. Right? Like when you say, like, look at the biology, we're all the same. But we can be our own individuals and we can still accept each other. Yeah. Yeah. And you touched on something really good there that, this speaks to the cellularity that I was using as a thought experiment. And so we can have smaller clusters, smaller communities of people if they are in right relation. So that's a Buddhist, I'm co-opting a Buddhist term there. If they're in right relation with themselves and they find that um, there is coherence, there is sort of healthy psycho-emotional state going on there. And they don't look at the self other problem that can arise. And that's where we are with a lot of cultural and sociopolitical problems right now is we see self-other, but if we see self-self and we recognize that we as a cohesive community are no, that we are different, but not different. We, we look different. We have different dialects. We have different um, perhaps spiritual beliefs or perhaps sociopolitical leanings, but that you're not a threat to us, that you are doing what you're doing. Now, all of this has to be taken in account with you know, each of us as individuals in this scales that we have a history, we have a past and there's to get young in for a second, there's shadow to that past. We have trauma, we have upsetting experience, we have psychic injury that has occurred. And part of the right relation within a larger community is to not bring that to the table, not to bring that into the commons, into the public discourse. That is a huge challenge. And I think that's one of the opportunities that every one of us has is to process that shadowy part, the injury part of ourselves so that we don't wear it as our persona. We don't wear it as our expressed character that we play in, in our group or with our family units or whatever. That is huge because that's what a lot of us have inherited as we were children. And it could be generational trauma. It could be trauma within a family unit. Your parents, you know, pass something along to you that, that is not positive. And it's, 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 stifled you. So, so we have to account for that. And, 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 and that can be worked out in a, in a loving, healthy, supportive community as we recognize that in our fellow persons. And we say, Hey, you know, listen, you know, it's perfectly fine to be traumatized. It's perfectly fine to be angry and upset, but let's, let's work. We're here to support. And again, if that kind of work can get done, the shadow work and the, and the injury work and the, and, and working through the, the psychic injuries, that'll go a long way to those cells then being able to work with each other. Because if I could abuse the cellular metaphor for a minute that my body, I'll use me as an example. If I have an autoimmune condition or a cancer, it's because I have cells that are dysfunctional. They're not working with the system appropriately and I get sick or I die. 
and I do have an autoimmune condition. And so my body's attacking itself and there is, there's a disharmony in the system, you know, and it's not in its proper homeostasis or however you want to frame that. We can scale that out as a metaphor to humanity. Like we do have an autoimmune condition in humanity. We get cancer in humanity. That's called war or it's called, you know, social unrest where we're rioting in the streets because, you know, there's whatever, whatever the issue is. And so we can use these analogies to good effect, I think. And if so, if we can find our, our, our body community as being in homeostasis, as being as healthy, it doesn't, you don't have to show up like a shiny, bright, happy person all the time. But if you, if you can recognize that you are presenting an injury to people and you're projecting that out as anger or judgment or fear, or just, you know, whatever antisocial behavior might be coming on. And that if your family, your, 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 your fellow community members can help you with that, that I think goes a long way to that. And of course, that's the $64,000 question. Can we do that? I know we can, but, and that, that circles right around to where you and I are having this conversation. It's like reaching out to others and saying, there is always support. There is always a way. And it's, it all starts with self-awareness. It all starts with a, with a checking in in yourself and saying, you know, am I angry all the time? Am I lashing out at people? Am I manipulating people? Am I narcissistic? Am I doing this? Am I doing that? That takes a lot. It has to start with that, but it takes a lot. I'll stop there because uh, yeah. again, it's a big dump. But yeah, I, I think that's that's so. In other words, to to have a healthy body or to have a healthy community, we have to check for autoimmune. We have to check for cancer cells. And cancer cells, I, I don't want that part of the metaphor to be misunderstood. That you know, a person is not a cancer cell. It's just that they are somewhat unproductive or not helping because they're angry, because there is psychosis, because there's something going on. And intervention can help that. It can it can bring that person back to positive valence or positive affect, however you want to call that. Exactly. And uh, yeah, I love the analogies you use and the examples you gave that. And it does begin with awareness, awareness of what you truly want in life and how that aligns with how you are today and doing that inner work, right? Because you're part of a community, even if you want it or not, right? You're always going to have people around you, family, friends, strangers on the street, coworkers. So you can decide what communities you belong to and I like to say that we're never alone on this journey. You and I each have our individual journeys, so we have to put in the work. But there are people that may be 10 steps ahead of you, or maybe at the same level, that can help you and they, that we can each, essentially help each other walk home and get to the, to the next level, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So two parts there. Now, you're never alone, but you also have to do the work yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Find, find a balance there where you do work and by doing work, you can share that with others, but also allow others to help you with your blind spots, right? Allow, allow them to give you feedback that you won't take personally. If they tell you, hey, maybe you're a bit narcissistic or hey, maybe you're a bit too angry when we have a conversation or hey, maybe you're a bit too mean to me when A, B, and C happens. Mm-hmm. Allow those to come in, don't put judgment on them and see if you can take something from it and and make a change in your life. And that was a tough one for me because I would get defensive a lot in the past. And sometimes I still catch myself doing it because some of those tendencies, because of learned behaviors, because of trauma, fear, whatever you want to call it, they show up in our life. Even if we want it or we don't, it still shows up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And to someone in the audience who's listening to this and they they may either be resisting this or they may be saying, oh, you know, I I am recognizing some patterns. I will say that it's, 
perfectly healthy, perfectly normal to be injured. It's perfectly healthy, perfectly normal to express yourself in a way that we may put a value judgment on as saying is not healthy. So I want to say that this is normal. This is not abnormal to be in that state. Now, it's abnormal to continue, I think, to fight it and resist it to to extremes. So, you know, and, and so, so types of narcissism are an example of that, where a person becomes so enmeshed in their in their insulation, their protection modes and methods that they, they get lost. They don't even realize who they are anymore. And, and that that's pathological. To, to some extent. But I think, you know, any of us struggling with our past, with our injuries and so forth, and I'm, I'm right there. I'm, I, I, I've, I'm not transcended in any way. I'm not enlightened in any way. I just recognize my demons and I work with them as best I can. And they show up still and I still have bad days, but, you know, I, I catch myself and I try to just work through that. But I would say again, that there is no shame in this. There, you know, the term humility and humiliation is what, you know, we typically are afraid of, but there's a, beauty to humiliation. Humi hum humility means to ground. It, it Humus is, is the etymology of it. It's to ground yourself. And to be humiliated is to ground yourself. So you're, you're, so you're falling, crest falling from your ego, but you're not crest falling from your true self, or you're not crest fallen from your true self. You're just falling from your ego, which is fine. Because to be humiliated from an egoic sense is, is good because that, that builds resilience within you. And it builds a kind of resolve within you if you can learn it and go through it without getting upset and then further sort of backsliding into your, into your ego or your persona. I think if you can understand that that is the way we learn and that sometimes suffering is a teacher that shows up for you and that, you know, if you're just not happy and, and you're struggling, that that's a sign and it's a teacher and it's there and that we all have it. Nobody is above it. You can show me. You can show me the Dalai Lama, and I guarantee you, somebody can piss off the Dalai Lama. You know what I mean? He can have a bad day, or any of these guys. You know, even our superheroes like the Buddha or Jesus or Muhammad—they had bad days. You know, they were human. They did things, and so we're all there. We're all in the same boat. So if that brings any kind of light bulb moment for anybody in the audience, just know that this is so natural. It's so part of who we are that it's not abnormal. It's not, you're not a bad person. None of that exists. It's, it's that if you do recognize that and that you continue because it's convenient or it feels good or it's power tripping or domineering pe dominating people, that's when you can make that judgment call and say, yeah, let's try to realign or let's try to reconfigure. And that takes self-awareness. And some people aren't self-aware and they do it automatically because it's just, it gives them the response mechanisms they want. And again, that's kind of what narcissism is and things like that. And even in there, there's no judgment. It's just they, it, they have to come to their, their crossroads. And sometimes that is a crisis. And sometimes that is, you know, a terrible experience. But it, again, it brings us back to being our authentic selves. So yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. And I'm a firm believer that as we as individuals improve ourselves and become our true selves, that will radiate out to everyone around us. Mm -hmm. And they'll have a chance now to learn from you to radiate more themselves. So that self-awareness starts to become stronger and stronger. So Justin, this has been a beautiful conversation so yeah. far. I want to give you a chance to tell the audience the name of your show, where they can find it, and anything else you'd like to share around how people can get in touch with you. Okay. So the show on YouTube that I, I manage, I guess, is called IdeaCast. And I think that's it. You just type IdeaCast either into Google or into the YouTube search bar, and you'll find that. And if you wouldn't mind, check out 
any of the content. And if you feel like there's something there, go ahead and subscribe. I don't have any programs or anything just yet. I'm de- I, I built a website a few years ago and I'm working with the developers now. I had had a paywall on it and I'm taking the paywall down and I'm just going to ask for some PayPal donations if the site brings any value to you. That'll be up and running sometime this summer. So I won't promote that necessarily. But if you subscribe to the IdeaCast interview series on YouTube, that I may put out a little trailer video that says, hey, my website's up. And if you want to go check it out, it'll be free. You'll just need to register with it. And then if you want, if you get any, as I said a moment ago, if you get any value, you can donate a buck or two to that. It's like buy me a cup of coffee or Patreon or any of that stuff we do on YouTube. But this is a separate website. Now to describe the website, it'll be a, it'll be basically what you and I've been talking about. It'll be a series of exercises for people to do, thought experiments for people to consider. The bulk of what I do in my work is process of negation. So if I could promote that for a second, it's just to understand ourselves through a emptying out process, which in fancy Greek terms is called kenosis. It is also apophasis. It is to know something by that which it, by, by, by being unable to define it. So it's ineffable in a sense, but it is nonetheless something that you're in relationship with. It's, and so with self-relation, with understanding the self, we don't want to, at least the work that I'm trying to present and this dovetails with a lot of other stuff. So it's not in conflict with with other self-improvement schemes. It's just that this is a, a separate means, a, a tool in your toolbox to do inquiry and to learn about yourself and to understand yourself. And then you can go into your other practices, whatever they may be, and, and re-experience those practices through a different lensing, a different aspect. Aspects can be one aspect or numerous aspects, but the more aspects you have, the, the better lensing you have, the better clarity and salience you have with that. So that's the gist of it is it's just getting people to use another means and another method to enter into whether it's a spiritual practice or just a psychosocial practice where you're trying to better fit yourself into those communities that we talk about. So, Yeah, that makes sense, Justin. Awesome. I look forward to it as well. So I want to thank you. It's been a pleasure. And until next time, thank you. Yeah, absolutely, Constantine. Thank you so much for, A, being a guest on my show and then having me over on your show. And I think those conversations, again, would pair up nicely. So to to pitch that to the audience, I'd say go on my channel and there is a con- conversation that Constantine and I had. So you can uh, check that out. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a great call out. And what I'll do is I'll, of course, put the links in the description. And then once this goes live, I'll, I'll go and leave a comment on your post. <laughs> Okay. And of course, you can put it in the description as well. We'll put the links. Absolutely. It's all about connectedness, right, Constantine? Exactly. <laughs> Interdependence. So, yes. but yeah, thank you so much. I'm grateful to you and I'm grateful to the audience. If any anybody got anything of value from what Constantine and I were talking about, then that's what it's all about, man. That's all it's all about to me. <laughs> exactly. Planting those seeds, getting some value and going from there. Absolutely. So thank you to the audience. And again, thanks, Constantine. This was thank fun. You. Thank you so much for being with us today. To find out more amazing content and episodes, please visit UnleashThyself.com or you can find us on social media.